Hey guys, this is David, your friendly Good Bull Hunting basketball writer, and this is Season 2, Episode 2 of the Aggie Hoops Weekly Podcast, and it is the Season Preview Extraordinaire. Blake and I will hit everything in this one. We're going to talk returning players, departing players, new players, the change to our style of play, the upcoming season predictions, a walkthrough of the schedule. We've got everything. We promise if you give us 30 to 40 minutes of your time, you are going to be locked in and ready to discuss the 2018-2019 basketball season. Let's roll. Hey everyone, welcome to the season preview episode of Aggie Hoops Weekly. I'm Blake and with me is my good friend David. And man, we've got a lot to cover this week, don't we? We do. It's it's a really fun time of year. We have no losses. The college sports world is slowly turning its head towards college basketball. Man, let's get to it. All right. Well, last week we spent a good portion of time talking about the guys who left the program. You lost a lot of depth. You lost a lot of size. Uh, this this team's going to look a little different this year, isn't it? It is, and I don't want to rehash what we spent a good amount of time talking about last week, but for those who are joining us for the first time, we are losing five of what I would say were our crunch time SEC contributors. So we're losing Tyler Davis, Robert Williams, Dwayne Wilson, DJ Hogue, and Tony Troca. No shortage of outgoing talent there. It's going to be a lot to recover from. Uh, if I may, Blake, let's start with the ugly, right? Let me just hit you with a few statistics of what this outgoing crop represents. All right. How substantial were these guys? So they represent five of our top seven scorers a.k.a. 73% of all of our points scored last year. That group includes our top four players on the glass and 77% of our total rebounding and our top four rim protectors. So 92% of all of our block shots went out the door. And just for funsies, uh, 62% of all minutes played. So basically you're looking at a complete whitewash of our front court along with a little bit of, of guard help as well. Yikes. Yeah. That doesn't sound like an encouraging note, David. I'm, I'm a little worried now. It gets better. We're going to bury that part of the podcast. We're, we're done talking about what's gone out the door. Obviously, it's not pleasant. But uh, you and I both talked about this earlier today. We're excited about some of the research we've done. We're excited about what we have coming back. And we're excited about the new guys that are going to join the fray this year. So let's, uh, let's move forward. Let's talk about what the 2018-2019 squad is going to look like. Sounds good. Uh, let's start with Admon Gilder right off the top. Absolutely. So I think people have forgotten just how explosive this guy was in high school. For, for those that might not remember, he played in a pretty open system in high school, and he averaged over 30 points a game as a high school senior, which is, I mean, the high school basketball games, Blake, are played in the 40s and 50s, right? So to drop 30 a game, he was among the leading scorers in the state, actually nabbed the uh, Gatorade Texas Player of the Year Award. He was a parade All-American, thought of as pure shooting, just the epitome of an off-ball scorer, right? And then we brought him here, and he really, for the first three years, has played in the context of a team that focuses on big men. We haven't really turned him loose, and we haven't really played to his strengths in the entirety of his time here. And I think we're going to get to do that for the first time. So uh, we'll talk about this later. We didn't have any all-SEC representation. I think some SEC voters are going to look foolish, because I think Admon Gilder is going to play at an all-SEC first or second team level this season. I completely agree. Admon is one of those guys I really love to watch him play. I really respect his game. You, you saw flashes of it his freshman year. His sophomore year early, he looked great. And then he got hurt, and that really, that just, it, it hindered him 
uh, and he ended up sitting out a good portion of the, the second half of, of his sophomore year. Last year, he came back. He just didn't look like the same player. And part of that, I think, was system-based. You had both Williams and Davis inside. You were running the ball inside more. So for him, it was a little bit harder to find his niche. He did contribute, but you know the emergence of TJ Starks. There were a lot of factors that came into kind of what I saw as, as an unexpectedly smaller year from him. Now, that being said, I mean, he was second leading scorer on the team, but still, it wasn't what you expected from, from Admon. So I think you're right. I think he's going to have a big year this year, and I'm, I'm excited to see that. And you mentioned his freshman year where he really did contribute. That's something I always look for, right? I look for a freshman that can contribute and that isn't afraid of the moment on an upperclassman-laden team. And our next guy, TJ Starks, he falls into that category, right? Say what you will about his recklessness, his shot selection. He was never afraid of the moment, and he's going to be our other starting guard this year. What are your thoughts on TJ the upcoming season? I am excited to see what the wrecking ball does. Yep. TJ Starks is just a force of nature. I cannot wait to see what he comes up with this year. You know, it took him a little while to find his stride last year. He spent a good portion of the early season kind of in Billy Kennedy's doghouse. I'm curious to see... Now that he's in Kennedy's good graces, he's got a, a full season under his belt, what does he do when he has that confidence and that courage coming right out of the gate? I think that this is going to be an interesting year to see how TJ's game evolves and see what he can do. I'm hoping he can open it up from the outside a little bit more as well. He was great attacking the rim. but You'd see flashes of an outside game, and I, I think it's going to be interesting to see if he can evolve that outside game a little bit more because people are going to start collapsing to prevent him from driving the rim. So he's going to have to knock down those mid-range and long-range jumpers. My only additional note on TJ is uh, the full TJ experience can really be explained by our last two games of the season last season. Ooh, that's a, that's a great synopsis on his season is those last two games. I mean, he, he was the best player on the floor against UNC for large stretches, right? Just utterly unstoppable. Uh, and then in the press buildup to the Michigan game, he referred to himself as unguardable. Uh, the Michigan players didn't take too kindly to that. And in the Sweet 16, he was completely shut down. Uh, five points on two of 11 shooting, one assist and five turnovers. So he's, he's one of those players where you learn to take the good with the bad, right? I remember last year we had an extensive discussion on TJ. And I made the Russell Westbrook comparison strictly in this sense, which is that he's going to 10% of his game is going to make you mad. But if you try to dial that 10% back, you're going to lose so much of what he can do. So you just got to let him roll, right? You just, you take the full experience and you hope that the good outweighs the bad and that he can help you win some games. Oh yeah. It's a white knuckle ride, but in the end it should be worth it. So let's move on to Savion flag. He gave us some good minutes at the small forward last year. I would say Blake, there was a point where, he actually had a stretch where he played strong enough to earn some extra minutes. But then the extra minutes kind of got to him a little bit. I feel like the expanded role, and when he got some big minutes in some of our larger games, he kind of shrunk from the moment a little bit. So I don't know. I came away from last year wondering if he was one of those guys that might just be better suited to 16 to 18 minutes. I don't know. How do you feel about the potential requirement to give him starters minutes in the SEC? This is going to be an interesting one. Savion was a big question mark for me. Like you said, there were moments where you saw so much potential. The ceiling looked really high. And then he got an expanded role and did almost nothing with it. 
And you wondered, okay, wait a minute. So where was the guy that you saw that was doing some great things in five to six, seven minutes a night? He just disappeared. He shrunk from that moment. And that that worries you about a guy's psyche. But at the same time, I think it's a part of that is being a freshman, not having your own niche carved out in the program. With the absence of senior leadership here, Savion's going to have to step up. And being a guy that your second year in the program, you're you're immediately looked to as as a leader and a significant contributor. He's got to step into that role, and I'm hoping that you'll see him take a big step forward. We need big glue minutes from him for sure, right? We need those that glue guy stat line where you only take four or five shots, but you get six boards. Uh, you play 30 minutes and you stay out of foul trouble. You know what I mean? Like he's going to have to fill. Yeah. He's going to have to fill that role. He has to evolve as a defender. I think he's got to play solid, solid defense because you know you're going to need him on that back end playing defense and helping out. That's the one thing you look at this and you wonder. Okay, rim protection's gone. You're going to have to be able to get, keep a hand in in a guy's face. You're going to have to be able to keep guys in front of you. He needs to be a solid stopper that you can put out on a small Ford who's attacking the rim and knocking down jumpers and who's kind of that do-it-all player. You you need Savion to step up and play defense as well. Yeah, he's got to be a two-way guy. So let's talk about J.J. Chandler. I enjoy talking about J.J. Chandler. I, I really enjoyed watching this guy's game develop as a true freshman last year. The one thing you always get from Chandler is effort. This dude will bust his ass Every minute he's out on the court, I know we all buried the Michigan game and we never want to think about it again. He actually played really well despite the ass kicking. He did. He fought his butt off and was really the lone bright spot in the second half of what was ultimately a, just a disaster zone that we all never really want to think or talk about again. But that was that game is a, a good way to explain the type of effort he brings to the team, right? He's a tenacious on-ball defender. He can get to the rack. He plays very quick. And with a ton of purpose, he's not a great outside shooter, although I think his shot did improve. And by the end of the year, he was up towards around 30 percent, which, you know, given that he started the first 10 or 12 games, just, you know, almost missing everything from downtown. I I would have to think that he had a pretty decent shooting percentage down the stretch. So, yeah, his shot selection got better. And I think his pace and his energy is going to thrive in the new system that we're about to, to switch towards, which we'll discuss it in more detail. But uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for him. He's certainly going to be in our eight man rotation. And what do you think about uh, JJ this season? Yeah, I think you're right. As far as his shooting goes, I think you're going to see him make a step forward there. I think you're going to see him develop into maybe a, a, a Dominique Kirk type role. He's not going to shoot the ball as well from three, but he's going to be a defensive stopper that you can roll out. He'll give you good energy. He's going to shut some guys down on the defensive end. So I think that you know you, you should see an evolution in Chandler's game, and I think you're right. The style of play change this year may help him. It may open things up a little bit more for him. He, he, he struggled to find the rhythm of the game sometimes. And I think you're going to see him get into the flow of the game a little bit better in a more up-tempo style. So with that being said, I think there's a couple of other guys that we can touch on here. You've got Chris Collins. Chris has been with the program for a few years now. He's He's been a good soldier. He stepped in and, and played considerable minutes a couple of years ago when Admon had his injury troubles. What do you expect to see from Chris this year? He's a spot-up shooter. He takes care of the basketball. Hopefully he can get on the floor. Uh, I think he's 
going to be on the edge of our crunch time eight. Uh, we're about to go through uh, four new contributors who will probably, with the four guys we just mentioned, comprise our crunch time eight. So he's going to get on the floor. He's a steady hand. Uh, I like what he brings to the program. Some of the the athleticism and the height limitations really come to bear, and you know when you get into these Power Five games against SEC schools. But no, he'll give us some minutes. He's gonna he's gonna get on the floor, not just in the you know traditional walk on way where they you know get on the floor with thirty seconds left. He's gonna give us actual minutes this year, and I think he can do a good job. Yeah, I think you're right there. Uh, the other one that that we want to talk about here is Isaiah JC. JC last year. You know, was was fourth big man in the rotation. He he averaged, I think, about three and a half minutes a game, and with that, he did virtually nothing. Yeah, <laughs> I I was hoping to see something from him somewhere in all of that. Just knowing that you had the potential of losing two thirds of your starting rotation of of big men, and now that you've lost all three of those big men, what we didn't see from JC last year really worries me. Yeah, let's reset real quick for the listeners on positions of the guys we've just referenced, right? So Gilder, Starks, and Chandler will be either primary ball handlers or one position off the ball, right? Same thing with Collins, and then Flag will be a wing. JC's the only big man returning player we have. And to your point, you know, mop-up duty, a couple minutes here or there with really no impact. That's the harsh reality of our returning core, right? And that's we've mentioned our switch to a faster style of play. Uh, this is why, gang, we we lost our front court and the bulk of our returning players are either one position off the ball or primary ball handlers or in one case, a wing. I mean, th- these are the guys who are coming back. So JC was the fourth big man last year. There aren't four big men this year, right? We do have a couple of big guys coming in, but he's going to get in the game and with the collegiate game, fouling you out after five fouls, it's not too tough, Blake, to imagine a world where someone picks up two quick ones and JC's got to give you 10 first half minutes at Rupp Arena, right? Or, you know, against a very, very difficult opponent. And based on what we saw last year, I don't know how that's going to work out for us. That's what worries me, right? Last year, the big men did a pretty decent job of actually staying out of foul trouble. But even in the situations where they did get into foul trouble, JC was kind of like the break glass in case of emergency option. He did nothing that gave Billy Kennedy confidence to put him in the game. So in that situation, I'm really concerned about his utility and what he can provide to the team. I hope I'm wrong, but I I just, I don't know what he's going to offer to that front court. He is the guy that needs to have the biggest year one to year two jump, in my opinion. Absolutely. I think you're absolutely right there, especially for A&M basketball to have any success this season. He's going to have to make a huge leap forward. Well, with that being said, let's talk about some of the new guys coming in. I think there's there was some unexpected talent that, that came in here. These are seasoned guys. We're, we're not dealing with any high school players, any incoming freshmen. These are all transfers of one sort or another. So uh, let's start with Wendell Mitchell. Uh, this is a actually a local guy from kind of the Brazos Valley area, played his high school ball at Rockdale, went to Baylor, stayed at Baylor for a year, contributed a little bit under uh, Drew's program there, but then left the program as I don't blame him when you're dealing with Drew. Uh, (laughs) Found his way into uh, Trinity Valley Community College, played there for a year, 
did a really nice job, was ranked by some services as high as the number one Juco player in the country. Some had him in kind of the four to five range. So what do you expect to see out of Wendell Mitchell this year? So I think Mitchell's going to come in and and start for us right away, Blake. That's honestly uh, how, how I see this going down. I see him taking the spot Flag would have had, had this transfer not occurred. Um, and as to his game, he can fill it up. He scored 19.8 uh, points per game at, at his JC, uh, but he's not really a pure shooter, right? He's he's an all-around player. He can score in a variety of ways, but I don't think we're bringing him here as a scorer. I think he's kind of meant to represent the non-shooting parts of DJ Hogue's game, right? I think that's the type of hole he's going to fill. You know, we don't really have traditional positions, or I don't think we will have traditional positions this season under Billy Kennedy. But I see him and Flag mostly comprising one of the wing spots, right? If we are going to roll with three guards, kind of a taller wing, and then a traditional big man, I think Mitchell's our starter, and then I think Flag is going to push him. I think you could see a lot of four-guard sets out of this thing this year. So I think there's some good minutes for, for Mitchell to get in here. He averaged six and a half assists at his JC, so I've heard he can handle the ball. I would be surprised if TJ Starks is not our primary ball handler, right? Just based on the way he carries himself and the way he played last year, he's kind of a ball-dominant player. It would surprise me if Mitchell brought the ball down the court and Starks and Gilder were both off ball. But yeah, I could see it as a rotation where he takes his turn, and I think he's a starter right now. I don't know a ton about the finer points of his game, right? So in the first couple of games, I'm going to be learning as much as anybody about this guy. Well, then let's talk about one of the open questions that I think I'm most excited about. Who's going to fill the role of the three-point shooter? Who's going to be the the guy that just puts the dagger in your heart from deep? I think Brandon Mahan is going to be that guy. Uh, This is a guy who comes over from Chippewa College. I'm excited. This guy shot the ball really well in his first year in school. So what can you tell us about Brandon? I think we've got a specialist on our hands. He made 88 threes, uh, shot at a 50% clip. He's also 6'5 and 200 pounds, so he hasn't exactly filled out. I'm not sure how much he's going to contribute aside from long-range shooting, but he's the sniper off the bench, right? He's going to be the zone buster. He's going to come in and be asked to shoot, and you're just going to hope he gives you enough on the defensive end to make the shooting worthwhile. I don't know if if he's going to do too much else this year, as is the case at a big university. These guys fill out, and they become more capable of contributing in in other facets of the game. But I think we're going to get kind of a... Josh Carter, DJ Hogue-esque type of early contribution. You know, back before those guys really fleshed out the other parts of their game, what did they do? They came off the bench and they shot. I think that's what we're going to get from this guy this year. Yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do. I think he's really going to fill it up from three. He's going to put some pressure on defenses to get out on him and maybe open up some lanes for Admon and TJ to, to get to the rim. We need this guy to stick. He is the only pure shooter on the roster this year, so we we need that to be a legitimate threat to have some other things open up, no doubt about it. Right. And and you saw how much we struggled last year when when the shot wasn't falling from outside, even with dominant big men inside. If things went cold from the outside, it was going to be a rough night if teams didn't have to respect your perimeter game. So even with the, the new style of play we're going to see this year, I think you're going to be reliant on him to, to open things up and keep guys honest from the outside. Yeah, he's an important cog for sure. Well, let's talk about Christian Mekawulu. He's a grad transfer. I'm interested to see what he does. 
he showed some really nice flashes. He was the Ohio Valley Conference Defensive Player of the Year last year. Second team, all Ohio Valley Conference player. I'm intrigued. I think this could be a key, he has to be a key piece of filling in the rotation that was left behind from Williams and Trosha and, and Davis's departures. Finally, a big guy, right? Uh, we've been talking for 20 minutes and we've barely mentioned the power forward of the center position. So it makes my heart happy to know that there is there is a big man on this. Oh, squad. man, there is. And talk about a guy that needs to come in and contribute immediately. Um, yeah. So Michael Wulu is six, eight, and he's kind of got the Davis game. You know, if you talk about the Davis and the Williams roles that were on last year's roster where one guy has kind of the more all around game and the other is just pure athleticism and shot blocking. This is the former. This is the guy that can score in and around the basket. I've heard Billy Kennedy quoted as saying he's better on the perimeter than we anticipated. Take that for what it's worth. But you talked about this guy playing at Tennessee State, and I want to drop a quick comment here about the paycheck games you see in college basketball, right? These small schools always have a couple of guys that can play, that can really, really play. The big schools almost always win out because over the course of 40 minutes, the depth will you know, crush the little guy into submission. But I think... This guy, Christian Mekawulu, was one of those players for Tennessee State. And you and I talked about this off pod. He had a great game against Texas, specifically against Mo Bamba, the presumptive you know, lottery selection in the 2018 draft. I would say he won that battle in that game, wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely. He, he finished the game with 15 points, 11 boards, held Mo Bamba to four points and seven boards. So, uh, and it wasn't like, oh, well, Bamba got into foul trouble and only played 20 minutes. Mo Bamba played 32 minutes in that game. He was one for eight from the floor. I kind of went back and watched the highlights of that game, and Mekawulu actually kind of dominated Mo Bamba. So I'm curious to see what he can do when he moves into a bigger program. I don't think that the stage is going to be too big for this guy. I like the fact that you've got a senior here who's got you know some leadership and a lot of experience playing college ball now. He averaged almost 13 points a game and eight boards last year. So I'm encouraged by what I've seen out of him, and I think that this is going to he's got to he's got to have a good year. But I don't think there's anything about him that worries me or that I don't anticipate any disappointment in his game. I think he's going to be a really solid contributor right out of the gate. I do too. I'm excited to see him in action. I think the only downside with him is you really you only have him for one year because he is that graduate transfer. He's a one and done for A&M. So you've got to hopefully transition from him into someone else. But I think he's going to be a really useful guy for us this year. Let's talk about this next guy because we have another big man coming, uh, a traditional transfer who set out last year, Josh Nebo by way of St. Francis. But before that, by way of Houston, Texas, is going to have two years with the program. Uh, he averaged 12 points and eight boards and 2.6 blocks per game in his two seasons with St. Francis. And when he announced he was transferring after those two years, Blake, he left St. Francis as the all-time leader in block shots. So <laughs> that's not that's not too shabby, right? And that's not bad. It's pretty easy to make the comparison, right? He's not here to display an array of low post moves, a la Tyler Davis. He's here to protect the rim and and put back dunks. He's here in the Robert Williams rule, right? Oh yeah, he is a shot chaser. That's for sure. Yeah, and I, you know, it remains to be seen whether he can fill the fill that role at a level of somebody who was just drafted in the first round. But in this particular instance, I say credit to the coaching staff for kind of planning for Williams' departure. Right? It, it became clear that they knew they were going to have a 
athletic slash shot blocking slash finish at the rim type role open up. And I have to say, I think they did a pretty good job filling that hole. Yeah, I think it was a good anticipation knowing that they had to find somebody to, to protect the rim. I, I think your upside here is that Nebo has been around the program for an entire year. He had to sit out last year. He was at, he was on campus. You'd see him sitting on the bench at games. And so it was good for him to get that familiarity with the program, get the familiarity with the coaching staff. So now he's he's rolling right in, and you're hoping that he can contribute immediately. And that's the theme of this section of the pod, Blake. We need all of these guys to contribute immediately. Isn't it a little disconcerting that we can't really stomach a miss out of any of these four guys? Yeah, I mean, you're looking at having at least one if not probably two of these guys in your starting rotation. I would anticipate maybe Mekawulu starts. You could play Mekawulu and Nebo at the same time, but I could also see an opportunity for Wendell Mitchell to start as well. So, yeah, this is this is going to be interesting. You're going to have to get significant contributions out of all four of these guys just to have any shot at a decent year. So let's transition now towards the the prediction part of the pod, right? And really quickly, I'm going to touch on the SEC media days. I don't want to spend too long here, but via the SEC media days for hoops, we were picked 12th out of 14 in the preseason prognostications. And we we received a hearty zero players represented on the all SEC first or second teams. Suffice it to say that the Southeast media does not expect much from us. And I would imagine, Blake, it has to be a function of those things we just talked about, right? We can't absorb any hits at all. I don't think we can absorb any significant injury time from our top eight. We can't absorb any of the top four not really playing that well. We can't absorb any of the new four guys not playing that well. And it's starting to feel like the type of sub-NCAA years we had where everything had to go right. And if everything went right, we could make it happen. But over the course of a 31-game season, including an 18-game stretch in conference play where you play twice a week. I don't know, is it realistic to expect these guys to hold up and to play at the pace we're asking them for, for four months? That's the one thing that worries me. We've alluded to this. We'll talk about it here in just a minute, the evolution of the style of play. But you've definitely got a definitive ceiling for this season. I think, realistically, 20 wins is about the max you can expect. If this team goes 20-11, and 11, I would consider that a tremendous success. I don't think that it's – you're not looking at a single-digit win team. I don't think you're going to look at a team that's going to have any less than, in, in the worst-case scenario, 11 to 12 wins, right? You're, you're not going to see this team go 8-23 and 23 or something along those lines. But I, I do think the realistic expectation is right there kind of in the middle, I think that they'll do pretty well in non-conference, but they're going to struggle a little bit in conference play. This isn't going to be like what we saw last year or uh, three years ago with Alex Caruso and Daniel House and those guys. You're going to get uh, a team that maybe can slide their way back door into the NCAA tournament, maybe, but I think that that's even a pretty high bar for this crew. And we're not going to have a decided talent advantage in that many games this year, right? I think that's what we had come to expect and to almost feel comfortable with both last year and the two years prior, where we stepped onto the court and we generally had more talent than the opposition more often than not, right? That's not going to be the case that often this year. Right, and those big guys provided a huge safety net and a, and a security blanket for you, and that's gone. You're dealing with, with some guys that are, are serviceable players. They're going to be good 
good players and give you some good minutes, but they're not the dominant presence that you had in Davis and Williams. So that front court is going to be a, a different experience this year, and you're not going to be able to just outperform everyone based on athletic talent. Well, we've been dancing around it. I say, let's just hit it. Let's just hit style of play. Yeah, let's let's talk about this. This is interesting. We can't avoid it any longer. It's, it's a combination of a few things, right? It's the outgoing guys. It's the makeup of the current roster. It's the, the desire of Billy Kennedy to play the way he's allegedly always wanted to play, which is to play faster. This is his natural proclivity. Yes, absolutely. So we're going to run this year. We're going to run. Kennedy, he, he talked about being okay with early shots. He talked about being okay with a healthy amount of turnovers. We're going to get out there and we're going to we're going to try to win games 90 to 85. And it's going to look really different than what we've seen in the past four or five years. This is an evolution back to what Kennedy had anticipated playing here at A&M when he first got here. I think that changed when he got Tyler Davis. When you get a big man that's transcendent like that, who's the number one ranked player in the country. You, you change your style of play. If you weren't playing an inside-out game, you start playing yeah, an inside-out game when you, get a, when, you, when you get a guy like him on campus. Whatever you wanted to do goes out the window, and that becomes your focus. So now he's going back to a style that, that he's more comfortable with. And I think you saw that at times throughout the, the tenure of Davis and Hogue and Gilder on campus. You would see this, this internal struggle in Billy Kennedy of, okay, I have to play inside out, I have to play inside out, but it never really felt comfortable. I think this last year was probably the, the closest you saw to him being comfortable in that system, but that was because you had Davis and Williams and you know they, they really had evolved into that game and could dominate games in that way. Now you're, you're going back to what Kennedy prefers to do, I think, that Mahan is going to play a big part in that because his outside shooting ability. I think Wendell Mitchell is going to play a big part, but I think you're going to see TJ Starks go to like TJ Starks is going to crank it up to 11 this year. And in some ways that excites me. And in some ways that scares me, the anticipation is certainly high to see what, what TJ is going to do. And of course, Admon, you almost wonder if Admon hasn't been waiting three years for this to get to a moment where he gets to kind of run the show. Gilder, Starks, and Chandler are going to thrive in this environment. I think we're going to see statistical bumps for all three. Uh, guard play is going to be the strength of this team, which is good because college basketball is a guard-driven game. It has been for years now. But here's the problem. This is, and I've been I've been waiting for the right time to to uh, insert this argument. I think we're here. Part of what made us so good last season was how different we were. Right? We were different, and we were good at being different. College basketball has continued to move towards a guard-heavy, pace-based shooting, you know, offensive-based climate. And in that climate, we brought two NBA-ready sledgehammers to every game, right? Let's, talk, let's think about being an SEC big man, right? And then let's say the six games prior to playing A&M, your primary defensive responsibilities were to switch out on the guards 20 feet from the basket and to chase corner threes and to rebound, right? And then on two days rest, Tyler Davis is backing you down to within an inch of the basket. And so we were different, right? We were significantly different than the way that other teams played. I almost liken it to the triple option, right? Of if you're that different and if you're effective at it, you can really get some headway out of the fact that you're not playing the way the rest of the country is playing. And so now we're making that transition to the way the rest of the country is playing, right? And we're late. We're late to it. And I haven't really seen that explored, but we're in year one of of this style of play when most of our opponents will be in year four, six, I don't know, 12. That's part one. Part two is that now we're not going to look significantly different than the other teams on someone's schedule, right? 
they're going to pop in A&M's game tape, and we're not going to look that much different than whoever they played three days ago. Those are some tiny advantages that I think we really were able to leverage. Particularly, I think that's what happened against UNC, right, is that was just a significantly different style of play executed at a high level on short rest. And we're not going to have any of that anymore. You definitely lose that game plan and opposition scouting advantage that you would see from our prior style of play. You're right. This is going to be welcome to my next opponent, same as my last opponent. We're, we're going to just blend into the crowd. Whereas you had you had to make a concerted effort and you had to change the way that you game planned for us. And I remember when I played in high school, there were there were a couple of teams that had a completely different style of play. There was one team that played this crazy extended 1-3-1 zone. And I know you and I have talked about this extensively, but they would put their power forward at the top of a 1-3-1 zone and make your make your point guard and your small guard just throw passes back and forth over the top of this guy who's outstretched arms the entire time and just putting pressure on them going back and forth and keeping the ball 35 feet away from the basket. Mm-hmm. Well, you spent your entire week preparing for how to face this zone. And not only did you ignore the game before that, you spent your entire week just trying to prepare for how are you going to execute an offense that you haven't run the entire year against a defense that you haven't seen the entire year. And it really took you out of your rhythm. And I think that that's what you're right. We did that to a lot of teams. We took them out of their rhythm, took them out of their element, made them prepare for us. And now you've lost that that element of surprise and that element of advanced preparation and demanding other teams' attention. It's going to be interesting. I I really haven't seen that discussed, and I think we're going to we're going to miss that. That's a real advantage, and we're going to miss that. I agree. Well, with that being said, how do you see this season turning out overall? Let's talk predictions. What do you think the team's going to do this year? I think our non-conference run is going to look good enough. I think. You can probably consider five of our non-conference games as non-paycheck games, so five games where we don't know if we're going to win or not. I have those as at Gonzaga, both games in the Vancouver Showcase, which is Minnesota and Washington, and then a home game against Boston College and a presumptive road game at Oregon State, which is played in Portland. I think we'll go two and three in those five and clean up the home paycheck games to finish the non-conference run at 10 and 3. I also see us in the SEC Big 12 Challenge getting a win against Kansas State at home. I think that's going to be a nice a nice moment for us. We have a big Saturday home game against a team that's currently in the top 15 from the, our old friends in the Big 12. I do think we beat Kansas State at home. So three non-conference losses for me. What about you? Yeah, I, I see maybe one more non-conference loss along the way. Uh, I think one of these non-paycheck games, you'll you'll kind of end up stumbling somewhere. I don't know whether it would be K-State or maybe Oregon State. Somewhere along the way, I think you're going to pick up another loss and end at 9-4 and four in non-conference. So we're pretty similar, but yeah, you, you, you I guess you've got us at 2-4 and four in the six non-paycheck games. Okay. I could certainly see that, to be honest, but maybe, uh, maybe my optimism will carry the day when K-State comes to town. I'm hoping so. I hope you're right. And then in terms of the 18 SEC games, I really, I think this style of play is going to be fun to watch at home. I think it's going to elevate our crowd. I think we're going to be tough to beat at home. I also don't think we're going to do much damage on the road this year. So I've got us at 8 and 10 in those in those 18 SEC games, mostly walking the line uh, between that home and road split. I think you're close. I think, once again, I'm a little more pessimistic uh, than you. Just, I think we'll be 7 and 11 in conference play. So... I think you'll drop maybe a couple of home games 
to to some of your more more talented opposition. I, I see struggles against Auburn and Tennessee at home. You know, those are two programs that are going to be pretty pretty damn good this year. So overall, I think you finish the season at 16 and 15, just a, a tick above 500. And then I think if I'm adding this correctly, you have us at 18 and 13 for the year. I do. So a little more optimism. I would say probably not enough optimism to put us in the dance. Um, again, it's a depth thing. I don't have doubt about what our ceiling looks like. I have doubt about our ability to maintain over the course of 31 games, right? I think ultimately that's going to be our undoing. We're just not going to have the volume of significant wins to make the dance this year. I think you're right. You're going to have to get pretty outstanding play from everyone, in all honesty, just to just to have a shot at making the dance. So this is it's going to be a transition year, that's for certain. But you know, we'll see. We'll see if we get some excitement along the way. I think we will. I think we'll get some fun performances and some fun games. So it should be an interesting year. And I believe this is planning to be posted Tuesday morning, which means. The home opener's tomorrow night at home against Savannah State at 7 o'clock. Let's get after it. Let's watch some basketball. Yep, followed up two days later by a game against UC Irvine on Friday night. So that should be that should be fun. And then team has almost a week off to prepare for Gonzaga on the road in Spokane. So I'm looking forward to three three fun games to open the season. I'll talk to you next week. We'll we'll clean up these, these two home openers and, and talk about a scary road trip to a consensus top five program. That's gonna be that's gonna be an interesting one. So we're gonna break that down every way we can and we'll talk to you guys next week. Yeah.